What's going on, everyone? I'm Jeff St. Pierre, and this is episode 120 of the Adult Education Podcast. This week, I'm speaking with author and anti-guru, Sarah Knight. Thanks so much for checking out my show. If this is your first time joining the Adult Education Podcast, I really hope you like what you hear and you stick with us. I would really appreciate it if you could take a second to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using to listen on right now, and feel free to share the show with your friends. Word of mouth is the best way to inspire new people to check it out. Fair warning before we dive into this conversation, if the F word bothers you, you may want to hit pause now, because today I'm speaking with the creator and author of the No Fucks Given Guides, Sarah Knight. Now, this all started back in 2015 when she published her first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck. Since then, Sarah's gone on to publish four other books, a couple of journals, and I think there's a calendar in there too. Her latest book is about to hit your bookstores, making it full-length book number six. It's called Grow the Fuck Up, How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One. I've been lucky enough to have had a few different opportunities to speak with Sarah. I love her story. I love her work. And I can honestly say that I've taken a lot of advice from her books to use in my own life. I'm always taking stock of my fuck budget to determine how many fucks I have to give about things and how I can use them correctly. But the new book goes in a slightly different direction than her previous work. The first five books Knight has published kind of help us take back control of our lives. But Grow the Fuck Up is more about navigating life. It's more of a blueprint to adulting. I love this book. I love Sarah. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Sarah Knight. Hi. Hello. How are you doing? I am well, thank you. Well, great. Congratulations. Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> book number six, six. The sixth full-length No Fucks Given Guide. Yes. There's yes. a there's a little holiday coffee table book that came out last year and a few journals, but for all intents and purposes, yes, the sixth. I, I guess this seems like a weird question, but a straightforward question. Did you think you would have this many books in the series when you sat down to write the first one? I did not. I had absolutely <laughs> no idea that this would happen. I love it. I love how it so organically grew for you into many different angles over the years. Yeah. I mean, I uh, I have to say the first book took on a life of its own and it enabled me to write another one and another one and another one. And then some other different offshoots have come from all of that. It's been pretty exciting seven years or so. Yeah. I mean, even this one too, reading the the very beginning of the book, it almost sounds like you kind of felt like you may be done. And then as the world changed, so did your mindset. And you felt like I got to sit down. I've got another book here. I've got something else to write. Yeah. Something that I've always been really focused on, and it's partly just you know, my own kind of creative integrity and partly because I worked in book publishing for 15 years before I ever started writing books myself is that I wanted to make sure that if I had an idea like that it was that it was good and worthy and I had enough to say and I had written the written the fuck out of you know a lot of topics that are near and dear to my heart being organized and goal setting and motivated and building self-confidence and conquering anxiety and all of this stuff so I had kind of come to what I felt was a at least a, if not a stopping place, a resting place in terms of my own, um, you know, my, my own conviction about what was going to come next. And then of course, 2020 happened and 2021. And, uh, and I think a lot of people's lives changed and a lot of people's mindsets changed for the better and for the worse. And what happened and which I write in the introduction, as you know, is that my brother had a baby. Mm -hmm. uh, so this made me a first time aunt. Uh, at the ripe old age of 44, and I'm a committed non-child haver myself. Uh, but I got to thinking, you know, 
maybe there's something I have to say about growing up and about being an adult and acting like an adult and getting treated like an adult and the benefits therein. And that really kind of just started the brainwaves, you know, chugging along again. So here we are. Do you mind? I was thinking about this because you and I have spoken, I think, for almost every book you've put out minus maybe one or two in the mix here. And I was thinking about it. I've talked to you about these books and I know, you know, some basic areas of your life, but I don't really know how we got here so much besides the story of you were in publishing and then you decided this is not for me. I'm going to save my money. I'm going to leave. I'm going to move to the DR, uh, Dominican Republic. I'm just going to say DR because it's a lot easier for me to say for the purposes of this interview. Try saying it in Spanish, La República Dominicana. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I did, Even I, more syllables. My mouth does not move at the speed that it needs to to make that come out properly. Okay. Um, but I, I'm curious, like, so... I, I, where'd you grow up? How did we get to this point? Like, do you mind if we take a step back a little bit further this time? Is that okay? No, not at all. Uh, I grew up in the state of Maine. Oh, uh, okay. I'm a, from fine New England stock. My parents were both elementary school teachers for their whole careers. They've since retired, but they taught for about 40 years. Mm. Uh, and I'm the oldest daughter, and I have one younger brother uh, who's six years younger than me. And uh, I think an interesting biographical point is that out of all of my mother's seven brothers and sisters, she was the only one to have kids. Oh, wow. Um, and on my dad's side, I have one cousin. So I have always been among the grownups. You know, I did not have a, a wide array of cousins running around, you know, and and siblings. It was just sort of me and all of these grownups in my life. So I've always really, I've sat at the grownups table, I've carried on grown up conversation. And I feel like not only did I have good models, uh, you know, in my life, but it's always been something I've been really comfortable with. Um, you know, some people might say I was old before my time, uh, but I've caught up to that time now. So I, I felt like that also kind of informed me feeling like I had something, you know, something legitimate to say. Um, but, you know, I went to a very small uh high school in Southern Maine and uh, at Wells High School. And, uh, and from there I went to Harvard, uh, which is, which was a pretty big deal at the time. For Can I pause you for one second on this? <laughs> Only because I grew up in New Hampshire and I think it's funny because I tell people I have no cousins, which is true. And they look at me cross-eyed. Like, how do you not have any cousins? And it, it is, it's strange because I think, and we're about the same age, uh, a year or two, I think difference. And I think for our parents' generation, that was weird to not have kids. Like, it is very strange. Nowadays, I don't think it's looked at as that strange. But there was a period of time where it was really weird to not have one, two, three, four children in your life. And my parents did have three children. So there were three of us in that. We have no cousins. We Unfortunately, we don't really have much family left at all. I think we have one aunt. Uh, left in our family. So when I tell people that, when I go to gatherings with other people or I meet their families, I'm like, who are all these people that are following yeah. you around? There's like five of us and that's it. Like, we, that's all we got. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My husband's from the South and he's got, not only does he have a million cousins, uh, but he also is, his parents divorced. And so now he has step oh. sisters and half brothers and all of that additional family and stuff. So I do feel often very much like the odd one out uh, <laughs> whenever there is a family gathering because my family gatherings are quite small. What was that experience for you the first time you did it? Because I'll tell you mine. I was dating a, a girl many years ago right after college. She was a, an Italian girl from South Philadelphia. And when I went to go meet her family for the first time, I mean, just that Italian South Philadelphia already explains to you exactly what I'm walking into. But I was so shell-shocked. I had no idea what I was about to experience. 
It's a lot. It really is. Uh, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty self-possessed person, uh, but I also, you know, it's, it's hard when you're just ricocheting back and sure. forth from meeting, you know, 15 to 20 brand new people who you're also kind of trying to impress. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot, but, uh, but we've been together for a really long time now. So I think everybody, everybody's on the same wavelength now. So that's yeah. good. <laughs> and if, if they weren't accepting of it at the time, they've at least, you know, accepted the fact that you're going to be here. So you're good to go. Indeed. I am not going anywhere. <laughs> All right. So you, you get through the, the, the basic years of life. You go on to Harvard. Now, did you go there thinking that uh, literacy was in your future? Like, is that the world you plan to get into all along? Yes and no. I mean, I, I, if, if you asked eight-year-old me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up besides wanting to be a hairdresser, which was a long-held dream, I would say, I'm going to be a writer, you know, but I don't even think I necessarily knew what that meant when I was that young. And I've always... I was, I was always writing. I was always, you know, I was winning some awards and, and, but you know, on a low level. And so when I got to college, I did major in English and American literature. So, you know, I got to read all the, the classics and the canon and the 20th century stuff. And, you know, it was really, it was definitely in the ballpark of what I sort of assumed my, uh, my higher education path would take. But I also, got really into theater and specifically set design and scenic art and props design. And I did that for all four years that I was in college. And so there was a point where I was sort of like, well, am I going to go into theater or am I going to continue on this, you know, books, publishing, try to be an editor, that kind of thing. And I ultimately realized that although I was quite good at, you know, at designing props for college shows, I wasn't some kind of savant, you know, like I was not qualified to go off and, and hang with the the big cats from Juilliard and, you know, and the people that were really like true, true talents. And that really my, my talents lie more with the written words. So I did end up pursuing a career in publishing, uh, you know, a few, few false starts here and there trying to get a job in New York in the summer of 2000. Uh, but I did end up ultimately working for a literary agent for about a year and then transitioned to be an editorial assistant at a publishing house. And then I did that for 15 years until I blew it all up <laughs> and crossed to the other side of the desk uh, and started writing these books. You must read really fast. <laughs> I do. I read really fast, but I don't retain nearly as yeah. well. My husband is a much, much slower reader, but he remembers books he read five years ago, like really kind of perfect recall and, and books I've read too. And I'm like, oh, I don't remember that part. So it's a little bit of a occupational hazard that I learned to read super quickly for, for my job. Now I, I imagine too, that because of your job, you're also, and maybe my impression of uh, uh, being an editor is different than what it actually is. But my impression is you're also reading it, looking for mistakes, errors, trying to make sure things are, are looking right for the manuscript that you have in front of you. So I imagine you're reading it, looking for different things too. Like, yes, you're reading for enjoyment from time to time, but you're also reading it going, oh, there should have been a comma here, or I could see something. I don't know. Or maybe I'm making that up. Maybe that's not at all what your job entailed. <laughs> um, you know, that's eventually it does. It does entail that. But as an acquiring editor for a publishing house, what you're doing is reading manuscripts that literary agents have sent you of their clients oh, that they okay. want to publish. And so I'm really reading for a spark of something original, you know, a really fabulous voice, a writing style that is unusual and that I think, you know, could become the next kind of big thing. Um, so first I'm evaluating manuscripts based on, you know, do I love this? Is it unique? Do I think I can sell it to the masses? 
And then once you end up signing the author, which sometimes you don't get to because you get outbid by a competitor, um, then you're working on those books for, you know, anywhere from one to five years. It really depends on what kind of book it is. Um, but just call it a novel. You know, you're probably going to go through another three drafts with the writer. So then I'm reading their book as, you know, with an editorial eye, not for commas and typos, but for structure and, you know, character resolution and the scene goes on too long. And I think you need to remind us, you know, about X in the, in the character's past, you know, in order for us to really feel what's going on now. So it's a lot of like, um, almost like psychological work on a manuscript. And then when you're really getting toward the end, you're obviously Mm -hmm. making sure that there, that the manuscript is clean, but we have copy editors who's real, who are really laser focused on the semicolons and the you know, the accent marks and, and all the kind of stuff that, you know, for me, I'm, I'm more focused on like, does it sound good? Does it seem good? Are (laughs) people going to buy this? Yeah. They back clean up on, on whether it is precisely correct. (laughs) All right. So we do that for 15 years, realize life is not doing what we thought life was going to be. We, we didn't like life a whole lot in that way. So you made the decision, as I mentioned before, to uh, take a year to save money, pack it all up, go to the Dominican Republic, and then you launch the what would eventually be called, called the No Fucks Given Guides, the whole series. And I just still think this story is so inspirational for anyone that says like, oh man, I just don't know if I can do it. I mean, living walking proof right here that you can. Yeah, I mean, it was terrifying and I don't sugarcoat that for people. Uh, I was, you know, it was kind of a killer be killed moment for me. I was very depressed. I was panic stricken all the time. I, I knew, you know, after a lot of kind of hardcore self evaluations that I needed to leave my job, that I needed to work for myself, have more autonomy, have more freedom, not be caught up in a corporate environment. I loved editing books. I loved working with writers. Um, I just didn't like working in a situation where I had to kind of not, I was just didn't feel free to be completely myself and to take all of the risks that I wanted to take. Uh, and so I wanted to work for myself and that was, I had to do it or Mm -hmm. something had to give, something had to change. So, you know, I don't try to tell people that, that it was easy or it wasn't scary or it didn't feel like I was blowing up my life. But what I do constantly harp on, especially in my second book, get your shit together is that, you know, big life change is just a series of small change one after the other, you know, just focus on the small manageable chunks and then suddenly the big picture will appear before you. And so I really just narrowed my focus and I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to save money. And then I'm going to start working on building a website that I can have go live as a freelancer after I leave the job. And I, you know, I just did all the little parts and that included selling an apartment, moving to another country, you know, getting a house up and running here, um, learning Spanish. Uh, So, you know, there's just like a lot that goes into it, but it was, for me, it had to happen. I had to make a change. Mm. Was, was uh, Before we dive into this book, I have one last question about life in general. And I'm curious about moving to the Dominican Republic as an American. I know, I know Americans travel there and vacation there and do spend time there. So it's not uncommon for people to see an American hanging around. But for someone to come and literally buy property or buy a home and be like, this is my home now, I'm staying here. What was that transition like for you? Were people uh, accepting? Were they excited to have somebody new? Like, How did that work for you? So the town that we live in is called Las Terenas, and it's in the Samana Peninsula, and it's quite a melting pot. There are a lot of expats here. Uh, so, you know, there's about 25% of the population in this particular town is French, and mm. they've been here. They they did the same thing with Las Terenas that the French did with Monte Carlo. 
uh, and kind of found it back before it had roads and running water and all of this stuff and built a little community. There's a, there's a sizable Italian uh, expat community. Uh, there's not as many Americans. Um, and my husband and I are definitely among the youngest Americans that are here because most of those uh, American, British, or Canadian expats are retirees. Mm-hmm. So those are those are the folks who came here, you know, age 60, 65, 70. Um, so I, I always say that we bring the average age down in our, in our friend group by quite a lot. So it's not unusual in this particular town um, or even really in the capital city in Santa Domingo to see Americans walking around. I think that the time that we arrived here, we arrived in 2016. Um, and I don't think that America was, uh, you know, everybody's favorite country you don't at, that, say. <laughs> at that very particular moment in time. <laughs> um, so we often kind of downplayed our Americanness for a while. Um, but you know, we just, we have, it, it wasn't strange to me, but I also lived in New York city for 15 years and there's such a vast array sure. of, of people from all walks of life and all countries and, and religions and ethnicities. And so it, it didn't seem as strange to me as I think it might seem to some, some people who might find themselves kind of plop down in this, in this community. Um, and certainly the better that my Spanish gets that the easier it is to move, you know, a little bit more seamlessly. Not that seamlessly. My Spanish is not that good, but it's good enough to like to live here, you know, and to do everything I need to do. Um, and that opens up a whole new world. I do know some some folks who have moved down here who have not really made a a study of uh, of the language, mm-hmm. and it shows. And I think it does impact the rest of the community's, you know, sort of feelings about like their sure their presence here. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's respectful to learn the local language. So yeah. When you're making an effort too, I mean, they look at you as one of them in a way like, like, well, look, they're trying, they're here. They want to be a part of this community. Like, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the first few books in the series leading up to this new one, grow the fuck up. The first few seem to be more about taking back control of your life in a way to sum it up in one little sentence, seem to be taking back control of your life, learning what you don't need to do, what you can do to keep yourself happy. This one seems to be just about more about navigating life and some of the ways that a lot of us just kind of, I don't know, never learned or never thought about, I guess. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly the way that I want to say it, but I hope you understand what I'm getting at. I do. Yeah. And actually, I think that's a really smart perception because this book is more of a blueprint than any of the others. Mm-hmm. The others each have a kind of very specific, like narrower, um, you know, like the calm the fuck down is about overcoming anxiety and solving problems, you know, staying calm and, and solving your problems instead of making them worse. And get your shit together is about getting motivated and setting goals and achieving them. And uh, the new book, Grow the Fuck Up, is really a much broader, and I think, much more universally kind of applicable uh, blueprint for getting getting through life, acting like an adult. And when I say acting like an adult, I mean being mature, being responsible, being accountable, um, and therefore getting yourself treated like an adult. And, you know, in the parlance of my books, I always have these kind of archetypes um, that I talk about. And in this book, it's actual babies, mm-hmm. big fucking babies, big fucking babies, <laughs> theoretical adults, and total fucking grownups. And this is the kind of spectrum that I'm trying to take you through. And, you know, we all know as an actual baby, 
you can't be mature. You can't be responsible. You know, you don't even know what your toes do. Like you're a completely blank slate. And if you get through life with, you know, behavior being modeled for you in good and bad ways by the adults around you, and you learn these things and you begin to understand that your actions and behavior have consequences, it's what you you choose to do with that knowledge that really counts. And so the big fucking babies who walk among us are the people who choose to do nothing, mm-hmm. who don't care. They know what the right way is to do something and they just don't feel like doing it. You know, they want other people to continue to do everything for them the way their mom used to do. Um, and then you have the theoretical grownups, which I think is kind of where we all are. We're like, I'm really good at 80% of the stuff I talk about in this book, but even I need to work on 20% mm-hmm. of it. Um, and there are days when I feel like a total fucking grownup. And I hope that by the end of this book, we all have a lot more of those days <laughs> to look forward to. Um, but I think that what I what I wanted to do originally was write a book that was a little bit more aimed at younger people because I started getting a big audience of younger mm-hmm. people after TikTok kind of exploded a lot of, you know, 18 and 20 year olds were finding my books and writing to me saying how much they were helping them. And I was thinking, God, if I had known when I was 20, what I know now, boy, would that have been helpful? So that played into, you know, my, my, my thought process when I started working on this book as well. And then I just quickly realized that this is not limited to young people. There are quite a lot of us walking around with many, many years on the odometer who need, um, a reintroduction to some of these basic adulting skills and mindsets. I think it's a, it's an interesting time for it to come out because I think there's been a conversation about you know adulting as you just said for quite a few years now, uh, but mm-hmm. even so much since the pandemic started, when people really started to reevaluate their lives and really started to think about what do I want my new normal to look like when I come out of this? What do I want my life to be? I think being locked down and shut down made a lot of people think about their career choices, their life choices. Do they like them? Do they hate them? Do they want to try something new? And then when you start to make the decision, if you want to do something different, a lot of people found themselves being like, well, I don't really, I don't really have the experience or the knowledge of how to change what I'm doing. And I've never really sat and reevaluated before. So I love this is coming out now because I think a lot of people could use a lot of this advice in this book. Well, thank you. And something in particular that I think happened to all of us uh, during, especially during the, the literal lockdown and even in the, you know, two years of kind of high, high level, uh, you know, stress of COVID and all the changes and not going into the office and working from home is relationships suffered. Mm-hmm. People were, they were, they were like cornered cats, you know, and they were either trapped together or they were forcibly separated And that really takes a toll on our person-to-person relationships. And I think that a lot of the stuff that I talk about, particularly in the the maturity section of the book, which is, you know, self-awareness and self-control and really learning how to better communicate and cope um, when things go sideways and how to ask for what you want, whether it's from a boss or a client or partner, um, these are are skills that we let atrophy, um, not through any fault of our own, but when we were all kind of either so crammed in like sardines in a household where we became just like any little thing could set us off from any one of our family members, or on the flip side, when we were lonely and forcibly separated from our friends and family, I think that it's natural that we kind of lost sight of some of these skills. And I, I've just seen so many people suffer like relationship trauma during these last few years. And I think it's really important to remind people that adulting isn't just about 
you know, being on time and meeting deadlines and that kind of stuff. It's also about handling yourself, knowing yourself, you know, understanding, like I said earlier, your actions and behavior have consequences. So one of the chapters is called, don't you take that tone with me. (laughs) And it's about how to communicate when you're feeling upset, you know, and I, and this is like something that, you know, you don't, some of us were taught explicitly. A lot of us were not taught explicitly. And if I can supplement somebody's 20 or 30 or 40 years on the planet with a pretty like clear, you know, here, here's a way to do it. Here's three steps. Take these steps. You know, I think I can probably help people um, rev back up to that, that pre-pandemic, you know, mental mindset and, and sort of healthy mindset in terms of how they exist and, and act and behave toward other humans in the world. There's also a lot in here too. I mean, just you, you gave a couple examples, but you talk about uh, finances in here. You talk about constructive criticism and how to handle that. You talk about uh, thinking about the consequences that come along with your actions. And a lot of these things I feel like have been part of the conversation recently too, about how people discuss how growing up the education system doesn't really help them in real life experiences. Like, yeah, sure. We have to take geometry and calculus, but how many of us will ever have to write a theoretical proof uh, again for the rest of our lives? It seems like something that maybe we don't necessarily need, but a great like finances and managing your finances class in school would be super helpful to people. And I I think that's great that you cover a lot of this stuff. Not that it's going to necessarily replace educational books in schools, but I do think it touches on that idea that people have been discussing about, Hey, there's, there's room for this in our lives. There's room for this information, you know, how to dress and how to act going into a job interview, all these things that, you know, we think automatically come into people's minds when we're educating them about the standards. I, that is, I, I wish that I had taken that tag in the introduction of the book because it is so true. I mean, the one that uh, I have that isn't published yet. If you want to change it, I'm just going <laughs> to. <Yeah. laughs> there's a lot that, um, that we are not explicitly taught in school. And look, I, I told you I'm the daughter of two elementary school yeah. teachers. I mean, I certainly benefited more than most kids from having parents who were educationally minded and, you know, who understood how to kind of mold the minds of young children. Um, but it's still, you know, it, speaking of finances, and I am very candid in this book about how it makes me uncomfortable to talk about money. I don't want anybody to yeah. think that I'm talking down to them. I don't want anybody to think I don't appreciate their struggle, you know, that I'm really just trying to get to the core points, which is that no matter what you have, how how you know much sort of raw material you have to work with financially what you what you do need are those skills that i talk about through the whole book leading up to that chapter about prioritizing and being resourceful and critical thinking and coping you know coping with your financial situation is almost more important than the actual understanding of how to do your taxes like you have to be able to because nobody else you know at your advanced adult age is legally or morally obligated to take care of it for you and to walk you through it and to give you a teddy bear when, when it makes you sad, you know, you have to be able to kind of handle it for yourself. So I think that ultimately grow the fuck up is really a book about, you know, people might open it and think, Oh, she's going to teach me how to do my taxes or she's going to, you know, walk me through filling my windshield wiper fluid. No, (laughs) what I'm trying to do is help you become a person, an adult, a total fucking grown up who understands why that stuff is important and is prepared to handle it when the time comes. 
I'm glad that we talked about your your history and you know quote unquote where you came from because just knowing your background as being the basically the only child in a family and how your parents were educators elementary school but still educators I think that explains so much of where your mindset is for this book and, and I think I see not that I haven't made mistakes in my life, but I see a lot of similarities in the way that I grew up and that I was always at the adult table too. And yeah, sure, I, I screwed up my finances when I first graduated college too, like so many people did. Uh, but at the same time, I still think I had uh, an awareness of life and of the world around me growing up from that situation of being the oldest in a family by quite a few years before my brother and sister had joined and being a part of that conversation with all the adults for basically my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I definitely credit my parents and all of my kind of my aunts and uncles for just, you know, treating me like treating me like an adult. And I and I liked it and I wanted more of it. And so I wanted to act like one. And I've obviously made a million and two mistakes along the way. And one of the things that I do try to do in all of the no fucks given guides, including this one, is own up to those. Mm -hmm. Admit, like tell a story about a time I did some stupid shit. You know, when I was I, I tell a story in this book about I acted out on Twitter, you know, I was 32 years old and I <laughs> should have thought it through and I didn't. And I said some stuff I shouldn't have said, and it came back to bite me. Mm -hmm. it, it came back to my boss at the time. And, uh, you know, so these are, these are things that like, at least I can take the mistakes that I've made or bad things that have happened to me or that I have brought on myself and be honest about them and be like, should have said, you know, <laughs> and yeah. like, and if somebody reads this book and doesn't get themselves into the bad situations that I did because I set an example for them, then that's a that's a great outcome as far as I'm concerned. Uh, also, I don't mind laying bare the, <laughs> the the mistakes that I made. No, I think that's great. I mean, look, they're real life examples. You know, I mean, I could tell you about the time uh, that I got attacked on Twitter. I, I opened my mouth about Mariah Carey and not realizing how big of a massive, gigantic Twitter army she had at her back. Me with my like 17 followers all of a sudden have like 7,000 replies to a tweet that I put yeah. out there. Like what just happened? That was my lesson that I learned. We don't need to go into the details, uh, but it was just like, wow, like there there are those moments. And if you don't share those experiences with people, I mean, look, it's not, it's not that embarrassing. I think we all move on. We learn from our mistakes. That's what they're there for. That's what these moments are. They're learning their lessons. Yeah. And the, and you know, the, the, the book is kind of cheekily structured with these chapter titles that are kind of, you know, along those mm -hmm. lines of, you know, did, did you look everywhere, you know, like put on your shoes, it's time to go of like the kind of stuff that you'd hear from your parents, your babysitter, you know, your coach, um, when you were a kid and you'd kind of be like, Oh, like, that's just, you know, mom, like you're telling me to tell <laughs> me to brush my teeth, but I'm explaining to you how, you know, I link brushing your teeth to creating good habits mm -hmm. and creating good habits just makes your life easier. It just means that you can put some stuff on autopilot. And when you are, you know, deluged with adult responsibilities, because nobody is there to do it for you anymore. If you've got a few of those things on autopilot, your life is going to be easier. So I'm trying to take, I'm trying to, you know, take a, a tone here that is both kind of somewhat parental and educational, but also understanding that you don't have to listen to me and think like, she's telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to explain is here's why it's good for you. Yes. Like, because I think that people, you know, I, I refer to my, my oeuvre as uh, advice for people who hate being told what to do. Yeah. The anti-guru. Um, 
because I am, I am a person who hates being told what to do. And so I would appreciate, I sure would appreciate getting advice in a manner that felt a little bit more casual, a little bit more funny and entertaining. And that wasn't trying to say, you must do this. You should do this, but here's how this could benefit you. You know, there's two things that I've always loved about your work. One is that, is that I don't feel like you're coming down on me hard, telling me what I need to do, telling me the mistakes that I've made and rubbing my nose in the dirt over it. Also, your creativity is maddening to me because it is so, it's so clever. Like, just like you were talking about the chapters, when I first got the book and was looking through the way that it was built out in the different chapters, I was like, I don't understand how people like Sarah's minds work, where these things come to them in the process. I could sit here for years and never come up with a chapter list the way that you did. And I love it. I think it's amazing. And it's such a great talent that you have. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, you mentioned the word coping. And I do think that is such an important thing that people, people don't use. I'll use an example that we were just having. Um, my wife and I were doing taxes over the weekend and I was going to sit down with the online component to do our taxes. And we have, you know, we're, we're not dipping into our 401ks. We don't own homes in different countries. We don't, we don't have anything. We basically just enter our W2s in and that's it. Like we have very simplistic taxes mm -hmm. and we were doing it. And you know, half an hour into it, all of a sudden it's telling me that I owe them $4,000. I'm like, I've never owed money before in my life. What is this number? This makes no sense. And, and my wife doesn't, cope as well with situations like this. So she was stressed out for the rest of the night about it. I went to a different site, figured out there must've been some sort of error and everything. And we, you know, everything ended up being okay, but it still like brought her down all night. Whereas I'm like, Hey, shit happens. Like we, we see this, we move on, we figure out the problem. I don't think coping is something that so many people deal with very well. I think people just get so like, Oh my gosh, so frustrated and stressed out about things that it ruins their day instead of just being like, you know what? That's life. You know? Yeah. And, and it's hard, you know, it's, it, what, what seems to you like a, a doable, handleable crisis and seems to your wife, like something that's going to ruin her entire night and is, is, you know, an existential threat. Um, I talk about this and grow the fuck up. Two things can be true at the same time. And one of the ways that you're going to be able to cope with bad things that happen to you or be able to cope with another person's attitude toward something that you've done is by remembering that like, it can be true that, that for you, this is not a big deal and you'll figure out a way around it. And it can be true for her that it's really upsetting and, and scary and bothersome. And as two grown adults, you guys got to not let that come between you and be kind of, um, adversarial and be like, you shouldn't feel this way. You shouldn't feel this way. How could you feel this way? You know, allow your two, okay, I sound like a, I sound like a real guru, not an anti-guru. <laughs> allow your truths to coexist. Um, but the second part of that is that in the way I've always handled my extreme anxiety and, and is by just being as logical mm -hmm. and rational as I can possibly be about any given situation. And then, and in grow the fuck up, I, in the chapter on being self-aware, I talk about, you know, if you're feeling a particular way and it doesn't feel good, um, you got to ask yourself, okay, how am I feeling? Is it, am I nervous or am I terrified? Am I sad or am I feeling rejected? You know, really get specific and then say, okay, why? What is the source? Because a lot of people don't stop and think about that. Mm -hmm. Your wife at least knew what that source was. And then the last question is, what can I do about it? It's like, it's not, you know, what if, what if, what if it's okay. Now what, you know, mm -hmm. what's next. And that's what has always worked for me. 
And I think that as much as people don't like, a lot of people don't like to hear it because they're like, you're, you know, it's, it's terribly facile and you're not paying attention to how upset I am. I'm like, actually, for me, that's what defangs. That's what defangs the anxiety and the panic is to take action, mm-hmm. is to say, okay, what's next? Let me move forward. Um, and, and again, these are the kinds of things that you're not really taught in fifth grade. You yeah. know, you just have to kind of, you have to watch other people do them. You have to try it yourself a few times and see what works. And maybe you get a child-free lady in her mid-40s who says fuck on every page to help you along. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is interesting too, when you grow up and I was thinking about the four, you know, key people that you talked about before. And I was looking at them kind of like the kind of people you would work with on a group project. And that's the only real crisis resolution that you have growing up in school is working in a group project. And you're not going to have actual babies in a group project because they don't belong there. They're not going to be in your group project. But the big fucking babies are the people that do none of the work but still are able to get the same grade as everybody else because they just happen to be attached to you. The theoretical adults mm-hmm. are the people that do most of the work and but are just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do the work I got to do and that's fine. Then the total fucking grown-ups are the ones that come in and they just go take control of the group and say, "All right, here's how it's going to be, everybody." You know. And but that that's the only crisis resolution that I feel like you generally have growing up, you don't have, I don't know what the course would be, but you don't have a course on crisis resolution or dealing with other people and how you handle those situations. You know, it's, it's a tough thing that a lot of us just don't ever really learn in life. Yeah. And I would actually argue that you could have the epitome of an actual baby in a group project like that. And what I mean by that is somebody who does not have the skills. Sure. They, they do sure. not have, they don't have the knowledge and they don't have the skills. And they're deer in the headlights because they haven't learned it yet. And those big fucking babies are the ones that they could have the skills. They're, they it's just lazy. refuse to try, <laughs> you know, and that's, a, again, kind of in the beginning of Grow the Fuck Up when I'm doing this taxonomy of, of adults. Um, I want to make sure that everybody knows that we all have these qualities that I list out for, that, that big fucking babies have. And the qualities that total fucking grownups have. And some of us are going to read the list of the big fucking babies. And you know, if I've listed 16 things, two of them are going to be like, oh, I do that, don't I? <laughs> and so, you know, it's useful for sort of anybody in their adulting kind of, oh, I'm going to use a, a woo-woo word again, in their journey, um, you know, to, to read through this book and just kind of acknowledge, as I do in, in, the, in its pages, that you know, there's a little bit of work to do. And it's when you, when you're able to understand that that work needs to happen and implement it is how you get skip ahead to total fucking grown up. There's an undercurrent of honesty in this book too, I think. And and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of moments where you talk about, you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with other people. Tell people, they can't read your mind. You have to tell people what you're feeling. And I do think that is, that's another thing that's very difficult because I don't know if a lot of people can handle honesty. You know, as much as people say, all I want is honesty. When you're honest with them, a lot of people fold and crumble and they can't handle that. And I, I know there's, I think there's a difference between being honest and being a total jerk. But at the same time, like being honest is such an important thing in life that most of us just sort of brush under the rug. Yeah. I mean, as in as much as I've tried to take these kind of parental, uh, you know, admonitions, don't lie, mind mm-hmm. your manners, you know, this, the, do your homework and stretch those into the, the chapters on different stuff that we've already talked about. Um, my whole series of books has been predicated on being honest mm-hmm. and polite. And people are kind of surprised about that when they, you know, because of the F words in the, in the titles, they think, some people think that I'm 
that I'm advocating rudeness or that I am advocating a sort of devil may care attitude toward how you make other people feel. But no, all since the very beginning, since the very first book, The Life-Changing Magic of Not Giving a Fuck, I've been constantly going back to honesty and politeness as the way forward in tandem, in the right levels. Like you said, sometimes being completely honest is actually impolite because you're saying something very rude, even if it is true. Um, and you do have to be able to kind of understand how to work those two kind of pillars together into uh, a way forward in your life where you're not being an asshole all the time and you're not hurting people's feelings just for the heck of it. Uh, but in, in Grow the Fuck Up, I really make the, the, the much more, I think, significant point that you have to be honest with yourself first. Mm -hmm. There is no there's no way you are going to be able to move through the, the world as an adult and get what you want and get what you need and express all of that to other people if you haven't figured it out in your own head. And a lot of young adults especially have ideas about what they're supposed to do in their life, whether that's traditional ideas about getting married and settling down and having kids and owning a home or ideas about, you know, I have to be a dentist because my dad's always wanted me to be a dentist and my dad was a dentist, you know, and they haven't necessarily been told by anybody or thought to themselves that it's okay to say, what do I really want? Mm -hmm. What do I need? What makes me happy? What am I good at? You know? And so I, I think that self-awareness and being honest with yourself is just like, it is literally the first kind of way into this book because that's where everything else flows from. You have to be able to honestly know what you want before you can express it to anybody else and have any hope of getting what you want. There's something in the book, or there's an area of the book too. Again, the book is called Grow the Fuck Up, uh, where you talk about going for job interviews and that whole process and about doing your homework. And one thing you touch on that has always been my biggest struggle in job interviews is when they come to you and ask, do you have any questions? And I, I don't know what it's like in other professions, in my profession, in the broadcast radio world. A general interview can be an all-day thing where you come in, you tour the radio station, you meet all the on-air staff, you meet the different heads of departments, you go to lunch, you come back, you do something else. At the end of the day, they say, do you have any questions? And I'm thinking, holy hell, I just sat through an entire day of presentations and meeting people, and I asked some questions along the way, but... Uh, no, I don't have any questions right now. I'm kind of shell shocked, and that's always been my struggle because I feel like I probably should have questions, but I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I have any questions right now. I need to decompress everything that just happened to me over this last eight hour period. Uh, but it is, you know, you talk about doing your homework and being prepared, and that's something that you know I'm going to take with me moving forward. Uh, you know, in any future opportunities that I may have, because it it is so important to make sure you've got the background. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, I hope that that kind of thing is exactly the kind of little nugget that sticks in somebody's mind and helps them out in a situation where otherwise they might have been standing there kind of mouth agape being like, oh, I think I think the example I give in the book is like, don't if, if they ask you at the end of the day, do you have any questions? Don't say, where's the bathroom? Because right. I need to go before I get on the train. That's not the kind of question they're looking for. But you can also, and this actually is a, a little a, a tip that runs throughout the entire book, which is like in terms of preparing yourself, of doing your homework and being prepared, there are little kind of stock questions, phrases, responses, and things that you can uh, arm yourself with so that you don't find yourself in a situation where you are a deer in headlights. And some of those could be job interviews. You know, I, I know that at the end, if they say, do you have any questions? Here's the one I'm going to ask. And it's going to make me sound, you know, prepared and interested. And maybe it's a little funny, you know, kind of depends on what you're, what the job interview is for. 
But there's other situations like when you are feeling uh, emotionally kind of overwhelmed, you can say, I'm going to think about that and get back to you, Mm -hmm. you know, and like there are these little kind of stock uh, pauses and I, I talk about one of them, I call them the, the triple O. Um, and it's like an out of office reply, mm-hmm. but for your life. Because if we've all, you've all worked in, in office situations where like, if you go on vacation, you go on maternity leave, you go on parental leave, you put up an automatic responder and the person emails you and it says, I'm out of the office until such date. You know, if you have any, if it's important, contact this person. Um, and people accept that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, that person's out of the office. Like, that's just, so you've told me, I'm not going to hear back from you right away. I haven't got your message and you're not going to hear back from me until I do. So if you can incorporate that into your own life with the triple O and somebody asks you a question that you're not prepared to answer, you can just be like, I'm going to get back to you on that. Let me think about that. I'll get back to you. And you don't have to be so like, uh, in the moment, I got to come up with a response, whether it's saying yes to a task that somebody wants you to do or trying to formulate, you know, a strategy to help your sister figure out how she's going to leave her husband. You know, there's like all kinds of adult things that you have to do in your life that you're not going to be able to do literally in the moment. And so you need to give yourself that, that time. Um, and it helps you not overreact. It helps you not say something stupid. You know, it just gives you the gift of time. So hopefully people will carry that away too. Since you mentioned the triple O, I have to tell you this because you'll understand this. I tried to tell this story to other people that don't deal with this. My boss, I'd never seen the triple O put in anything before the out of office. That's the triple O, which I didn't know at the time. So I get this email from my boss. uh, His name is Jeff also. And it says, Jeff, Ooh. And I was (laughs) So I, I eventually confronted him about it. I was like, very, what's this all about? What's this, ooh, that you have at the end of your name? Like, should I be excited this email's coming back to me? He's like, no, it means out of office. And I was like, who, who does that? Who does O-O-O after the name? Well, I am so, I'm really happy to hear this actually, because in the book, I, I kind of explain what an out of office is. And it, one of my editors, or maybe one of the assistants read a draft and was like, do you really need to explain this? Everybody knows what it is. Like, it's just a waste yes. of text. And I was like, I'm not sure everybody does know what it is. So I did keep it in there. So I'm glad. <laughs> All right. Well, Sarah, I have taken up a lot of your time today and I appreciate it. I always appreciate these conversations. I love chatting with you. I do have to ask you one last thing. I know the first book was optioned for a movie a while back. So I'm just kind of curious, are they updating you? Do they tell you how things are going with that? Because I'm so wildly curious to see how they develop that into a movie. Yeah, there has actually been quite a lot of activity on that account in the last few weeks and the option has been renewed yet again. So we are continuing to generate scripts, um, but nothing else that I can talk about uh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> particularly publicly, but, but it is still in the works with new line. Uh, and that's really exciting. Well, Sarah Knight, the book is grow the fuck up, how to be an adult and get treated like one. Another masterpiece in my opinion, in the no fucks <laughs> given you. guides, uh, Sarah, where do people go if they want to find out more information about you? They can find me and everything about me at sarahknight.com. Always a pleasure. I'm so glad that we've made this connection over the years to chat about your books. Uh, so I just, I really appreciate the time and all of the wonderful insight from my favorite anti-guru. <laughs> thank you for having me back. Big thank you to Sarah Knight for taking some time out of her day to chat with me about her new book, Grow the Fuck Up, How to Be an Adult and Get Treated Like One. The book is being published on April 4th and will surely be available at your local bookstore or wherever you find your books. And thank you to all of you for taking some time out of your day to listen to adult education. Until next time, be well.